Hi, Night Church. Uh, my name's Linda, and I'm going to be reading the Bible tonight. So if you can grab a Bible in the pews in front of you or your phone, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 18, verses 1 to 17. So if you're looking at the Bibles in the pews, it's 1,112 is the page. 1,112. So Acts chapter 18, verses 1 to 17. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Eustace, a worshipper of God. Crispius, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptised. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. While Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to the place of judgment. This man, they charged, is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to them, If you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names and your own law, settle the matter yourselves. I will not be judge of such things. So he drove them off. Then the crowd there turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue leader, and beat him in front of the proconsul. And Gallio showed no concern whatsoever. Thanks, Linda. Hey, everyone. Nice to see you. Uh, thank you for being here tonight in the dodgy weather and the scramble for a car park. It's fantastic. What a catch. See that? Uh, fantastic to see you. Uh, before, just as we get started tonight, I wanted to let you know, uh, I'm Stu, by the way, in case we haven't met, but uh, now I wanted to let you know the, uh, the tragedy of Ross. This is Ross. Uh, Ross was my very favorite houseplant I've ever owned. Like a good millennial, I've owned many houseplants. Uh, Andy gave Ross to me when we were dating. It's a really nice present. Uh, and uh, I did an Instagram poll to decide his name. Ross was it. And he kind of sat there nicely on the corner of my desk for a good amount of time, made me a proud plant dad. 
Uh, Ross was a good time uh, for me. And for, for a while there, he, he thrived on the desk near the window, made sure there was, you know, filtered light because I read the little tag on it, made sure I watered him, but not too much because you kill plants that way. Uh, and then one afternoon, I come to my room to find a leaf fallen off sitting on the table. And I had yet to meet Harrison underscore plants uh, from Night Church here to ask what was going on. So I was a little bit uh, worried. Moved him into the shade, maybe watered him less. Uh, but a leaf after leaf, they kept falling off until Ross looks somewhat like this. I know. Tragedy. Uh, and this is a dramatization, by the way. I don't have Ross with me. He's gone. Uh, a stick in the ground. That's all he was. Uh, and to make this tragedy just a touch worse, Ross, uh, you know, was gifted to me uh, from Andy during our, our dating period, and she promptly declared Ross, declared Ross our love fern. I'm not sure if that's a concept you're familiar with. I certainly wasn't. But the kind of unwritten understanding was that this plant represented our love. And, you know, the more love, the healthier the plant, the healthier the plant, the more love, there was kind of this mutual thing going on. Uh, and so uh, I kind of had this, uh, this stress on it. And to make it even worse, I'd given her a plant the year before, which apparently was her love fern from me, and it was thriving. It like outgrew its pot. She needed to change it. She had this spot in the room. It was just perfect. Uh, and there was this unwritten thing that, you know, you've been given this, this fern of great emotional value uh, and, and, and you've got to care for it, cultivate it, grow it uh, as our love grows. And Ross happened. When it came to her, uh, Andy's plant, fern of love, thriving, beautiful, gorgeous. When it came to my love fern, death. A sorry excuse for a love fern. And an awkward conversation. And I wonder if right now you feel a bit like Ross. It's been two really tough years, ups and downs. And it's been hard, not just tiring-wise, like we're, we're here on the other end of a long lockdown, lots of screens, lots of hard efforts. Uh, but it's hard spiritually, isn't it? It's been hard on faith. And as the year gets uh, you know, closer to its end, I know I'm feeling a lot like Ross. I'm feeling drained, a bit dry, a little bit useless. And if I had to guess, based on conversations I've been having and just my intuition, I'd say that there's a lot of people here who are feeling the same way. Just a bit run down. And as we go through the book of Acts, we, we see these early, early followers of Jesus and they take this gospel message and go on this mission and it's, they do so well, right? They take the gospel beyond and they build churches and, and thousands of people come to know Jesus. And the prospect of us doing the same thing can, can just feel exhausting sometimes. Do you expect me to take the gospel out? I don't even go out. I feel like we've been given a message of great value. We've been asked to care for it, cultivate it, grow it. But sometimes it feels like all we can produce is Ross-like lives, feeling like a stick in the ground. Well, tonight in our passage, one of our early church heroes, Paul, 
he finds himself in a Ross-like situation. And he's faced with this dryness. And as he's faced with that dryness, two things help him persevere. The promises of Jesus and the people of Jesus. Well, in uh, last week's episode of Acts, as we zoom through, uh, Paul was in the city of Athens, uh, which was like the university intellectual city. It's there on the map, and I know what you're thinking, maps. I love maps. We should have just called the series Maps, but we didn't. There he is, Paul. He's been doing this journey. Through chapter 17, we see him go around the big loop. uh, And he's been having some success there, but his ministry is kind of slowing down. Uh, He's been through a lot. And while his work is producing fruit, he's constantly battling against competition. Uh, And the results start diminishing as well through chapter 17. Up in Thessalonica, a large number of people believe down in Berea, many Jews along with some Greeks believe. And then last week we heard in Athens, that long sail down, and he gets up uh, and gives his best sermon ever, the talk of his life. And some believe, only some, only a handful of people give a polite response. And Paul heads from Athens there, which is like your Harvard or Oxford town type of place, universities, intellectuals, and he just makes a short trip to Corinth, where we find ourselves in chapter 18 today. And Corinth, Corinth is like the New York of the area. It's full of trade, culture, sport, different religions, the self-made man has it all. It's, uh, it was described as a, an ancient historian as the most dazzling and modern of the Greek cities a place to be, the type of city worth an Alicia Keys hook or a Taylor Swift song maybe, Corinth, Greco-Roman jungle where dreams are made of, there's nothing you can't do. And if you pick an area where the gospel is going to fall on deaf ears or you feel like it will be hard for the gospel message to take root, it would be Corinth. And Paul's facing this uphill battle here against that culture. He's facing opposition uh, from the people around him, even if he's successful. Uh, and just take a look at the map. He's been, this is his second journey. He's been on a long road. And it's not just sitting on a bus and scrolling through Facebook. It's walking or helping sail a ship. Like, I don't know anything, man. I can't sail a ship. Paul is working hard, it's traveling, it's grueling, and the cracks are starting to show. In fact, in Paul's letter to the Corinthian church, which he sets up as he has this trip there, uh, he writes to them saying, I came to you in weakness and with great fear and trembling. This guy who's just been on this great mission of success comes to Corinth in weakness He's tired, he's feeling dry, flat out, useless, weak, a lot like Ross. So how does Paul keep going? How does he persevere in the gospel? Well, it's Jesus' people and Jesus' promises. So have a look at verse 1 in chapter 18 with me. It'll be great to keep your Bible open in front of you as we go through. Uh, It says, After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. 
Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Paul turns up, new city, new place, weak, and he makes two new friends. That's nice. Priscilla and Aquila. Now, I'm a very big fan of a rom-com, Notting Hill, classic. Uh, My favorite part is always the meet-cute. If you don't know what the meet-cute is, it's when they have a cute meeting. The guy and the girl, they bump into each other. They've got nothing in common, but then they're like, oh, we actually do have stuff in common. Yay, we're in love. Awesome. Sign me up for a rom-com any day. Uh, and there's a bit of, you know, love at first sight action. And I, I like to imagine that when Paul met Priscilla and Aquila, there was a bit of a meet-cute rom-com type thing going on. Now, Priscilla and Aquila, they are married. And I can only assume they had their own meet-cute themselves when they turned up and introduced each other. And were like, oh, our names rhyme. <laughs> Let's get married. Uh, and then they did. And then they come to Corinth and they meet Paul. And I, I imagine that the meet-cute conversation went a bit like this. Uh, hi there, I'm Paul. Nice to meet you. Hey, Paul, we're Priscilla and Aquila. Our names rhyme. How funny is that? Uh, what do you do? Uh, well, you know, I'm an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in my spare time, I make tents. We make tents. And then they were friends. Friendship at first sight. Paul moves in. They team up, go about their business. Now, it is a bit meet-cutie, but there's a sort of connection you have when you work with people. And there's an even bigger connection when you follow the same God. Uh, They got kicked out uh, of Rome because the Jews were expelled. So Paul knew these people and their culture. He had these links with them. He had solid friends. And Paul, he's here, he's feeling flat, full of weakness. And one of the first things that kind of brings him through this period is friends. Because you see, our our cute couple, Priscilla and Aquila, they're gospel partners with Paul as well. They pop back up at at the second half of this chapter, which we didn't read tonight, when they help him train other gospel workers to go out. They help share the load of the gospel ministry as the mission of Jesus goes out with this gospel message. Uh, and presumably along the way, they, they don't just make tents together, they encourage one another, they, they build one another up, they spur one another on when they're tired. And while Paul is staying with them, he goes to the synagogue every Sabbath, every Sabbath, week in, week out, to tell people about Jesus, and he's financially supported by Priscilla and Aquila as he goes. They work with him, they financially support him, while he does the thankless task of preaching with very little success. I mean, if he was feeling weak, he might have got a boost from Priscilla and Aquila, but now he just keeps getting knocked back again and again. Then in verse 5, his already established mates, Silas and Timothy, turn up. And with them, they bring good news. They've kind of followed Paul around and been to some other churches, and they bring financial support as well from the churches in Macedonia. More support for a tired Paul who might be starting to think that he's got to do it all himself. And once they arrive with this financial support, he can devote himself entirely to preaching. Uh, And this, by the way, is why we have these cards on our seats tonight. Because our gospel mission partners, we give them money so that someone somewhere where we aren't is freed up to devote themselves entirely to gospel ministry. What a fantastic thing to give your money to. And in the midst of Paul's hard spell as he is supported by friends, uh, he uses people 
to persevere. And I think you have to wonder whether Priscilla and Aquila and Silas and Timothy and the other mates that he kind of collected in the area as he went, you'd have to wonder if, humanly speaking, they were the things which made it possible for Paul to persevere. If they were the people who managed to to push Paul through when he felt that he couldn't do it himself. If they are the human-speaking reasons that we have the gospel today. Because I think it's the same for us as we, humanly speaking, support one another. Because if I turned up here every week and it was just me, I don't know how long I'd keep turning up. I don't know how long I could persevere if I was having a tough time in my faith and I was feeling dry and rust-like and I didn't have friends to spur me on. But when I turn up here and you're here, I see you praying to our God. I hear you belting out songs to our God. I see you supporting one another. And that pulls me along. Something deep inside me starts stirring and I get kind of yanked with you as we follow Jesus together and persevere together. I'm carried by your presence. I'm inspired by your noise. And so here at Night Church, I hope that you've experienced something like that in the last three weeks. And I just want to say thanks. (laughs) Online stuff sucked. (laughs) This is heaps better. You're pulling me through. And you're pulling each other through. Thank you for being here and battling to find a park. Thank you for helping me and helping your brothers and sisters persevere because we need people to persevere. Well, humanly speaking, Paul is spurred on by his friends, by people. But there's something more happening. Because people can only pull you along for so long before they get tired as well. And if there's no one left to pull, then is there any perseverance? Well, no. There needs to be something deeper. And it's a promise. See, in Paul's time of dryness here, uh, even with his friends around, he's still struggling. He's still weak. He's been on a long journey. He's got doubts. And his friends have pulled him along this far, but he's in need of a deep refresh. And so Jesus speaks to him. Read there in verse 9. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision, Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. First thing he says there, don't be afraid. Seems like a weird thing to say to Paul. He doesn't seem afraid, he just seems tired. Well, he shouldn't be afraid of failing anyway because he's been collecting Christians as he goes and he's, he's recently been refreshed by new friends. He's back to preaching the gospel full time. He's had some success as, as people uh, turn and follow Jesus. Uh, you know, there was that uh, part earlier in the chapter where he's in the synagogue and they turn him against him and start abusing him and he does that kind of macho thing of shaking his clothes off and he says, your blood's on your own head. That's cool, man. And then he goes right next door, starts preaching the gospel again. And what happens? Crispus, cool name, 
synagogue leader and his entire household believe in the Lord and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. This guy's got it going again. His groove is back. His juices are flowing. He's got his mates supporting him. What's he got to be afraid of? Well, you see, Paul isn't afraid of failure. He's afraid of success. It's like one of those people going to a job, you know, interview. What's your biggest weakness? Too successful. Because wherever Paul comes with the message of Jesus and he, he makes a splash, he becomes a target. He's been stoned, beaten, jailed, kicked out of town. He knows what's coming if he speaks up and people become Christians. He will be ta- attacked again. So Jesus says, don't be afraid. Keep on speaking. Don't be silent. Why? Because I'm with you always. In the ups, when there are people giving their lives to me, in the downs, when you're getting beaten to a pulp, I'm with you. And Jesus promises that for now, no one is going to hurt you because I've got people in this city, even if they don't know it yet. See, Paul can persevere, not just because of his mates, because of Jesus' promise that he's with him. Jesus promises Paul he's with him. Did you know that promise is the same for us? Jesus is with us. And it's a a nice Christian line that we like saying and we kind of all know off by heart, but I don't think we often stop and think about it. Jesus, the ascended Lord of the universe, the conqueror of death, who is reigning at the right hand of the Father in heaven, is with you. He's as with you as you are with each other right now. He's here with us through His Spirit. The Lord of creation, while He upholds all of existence, is with you. And that doesn't change no matter, how, no matter how dry or flat or rust-like you feel. He's with you, working for your good. He's with you in the hardship. The first time Jesus spoke to Paul, he was called Saul. And he asked him, why are you persecuting me? Now, Jesus was reigning in heaven while he had that conversation with Paul. Paul couldn't touch Jesus, but he was persecuting the church. And Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? Jesus feels our suffering. Jesus is with us in that low place. He's not with you and just kind of standing off in a corner, clapping you on so you get through it. He's with you to be there to take your suffering on Him and be a resource for you. The Lord of all is with you and He's ready to help. Man, what a promise. And because Jesus is with you, you can join the mission of Jesus. Back in 1 Corinthians 2, after Paul said that he'd come with fear and trembling and weakness, he says this, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. 
Jesus was with Paul through his spirit. And so the message went out. The mission of Jesus doesn't rest on the skills of Paul, the oral abilities of Paul. Jesus works through his servant, Paul. Uh, Just like Mark was saying at Life Anglican Church, God does the work. God gives the growth. Paul is just a servant there bringing Jesus along for the ride. Uh, Paul's along for the ride as as Jesus works through him, and he's part of this mission. He's a hero of the church. He's here in Acts as this wonderful figure to look up to. And here he is saying, wasn't me. And that same Jesus who worked through Paul and was with Paul is with us and works through us. We'll think about that a bit more in a minute. But uh, it's probably important to note that Paul uh, was promised that no one would harm him. Now, that's not quite a promise for us. In fact, it wasn't even a forever promise for Paul. It was a promise just for this short time in Corinth. And we see it play out uh, later in verse 14. The Jews are fed up with Paul, and they take him to try and get in trouble in the law, taking him to Gallio. And just by himself, I imagine Paul would be shaking in his boots a bit, coming up against uh, the big, scary bad guys. Uh, But the promise of Jesus stands firm. No one hurts him. And in fact, before he even gets up to speak, Gallio throws the trial out, saying it's just a religious matter, it's up to you guys to sort out. And this isn't just like, oh, a nice win for Paul. This sets a precedent in the Roman Empire for Christianity being a legitimate religion. Through this kind of weak moment, Jesus works for his gospel's glory to give Christians and Paul and the church freedoms they hadn't had before this. Jesus certainly had many people in that city. Perhaps Gallio was an unwilling participant as well. And Jesus works through our weakness too. He is the living Word of God who changes people's hearts. In fact, the secret source of Jesus' best missionaries and disciples and teachers is that they're weak. They fail. They're not good at everything. That's you. That's me. We're weak. We're not good at stuff. We need help. We can't do this on our own, and we don't have to. In fact, we're never asked to. Jesus is with us. He has many people in this city. We have this mission, this gospel message, which we've been given to to care for and grow while God does the growth. Jesus works through us, and we get to be a part of it. It's not the people around Paul that help him persevere. It's not just them, anyway. It's the promise of Jesus. The promise that Jesus is with him and will be with him. They are an unwavering foundation for Paul's perseverance. They do what people can't. Those promises stand when people don't. And I'll tell you what, having people around you is great, but if they're not holding to the promises of Jesus, they'll fall, out, fall down too. Andy and I have been watching uh, Bake Off recently. Great British Bake Off. It's a good show. Uh, And on a recent episode, they had an anti-gravity cake challenge. It's pretty cool. There was these crazy cakes that stand up. There's Giuseppe. He made this floating little island thing. Uh, Pretty impressive. 
Uh, but the secret of these was that it's not just cake, doi. There's a like metal or plastic thing inside the cake that's holding it all up. Uh, and if you don't have that foundation in the middle, that, that uh, solid thing holding it up, no matter how good it looks, it won't stay up. This poor lady's fell over. Sad. No matter how supportive or great our friends are, if they don't have Jesus as that firm foundation, well, they'll fall over soon too. Which is why we've got such an opportunity here with our friends who hold to those promises of Jesus to keep on reminding each other and mutually supporting one another as we persevere. So what now? Paul perseveres with people and promises what about us? What about our weakness? What about our rossness? Well, I thought a good way to solve my love fern dilemma was just to marry Andy, you know? And then she can look after both the ferns. She's good at plants. I'm not. Amazing. The ferns will grow. Our love will grow. Lovely. But the curse followed me. Because we bought an olive tree last year. It's a little baby one. Kind of looked like this. Uh, and it thrived for a while, but then we moved here, and one by one, the leaves fell off, and I was too late to talk to Harrison underscore plants. And soon it was quickly reduced to Ross, just a stick in the dirt. I gave up. I was like, well, that's a very expensive bit of dirt that we now own. But Andy knew something that I didn't. Plants are tough. If you give plants a couple of things, they'll persevere. A bit of sun, a bit of water, maybe a bit of love. And they come right back. And she found a spot where it got sun, it got water. And after literally months of being nothing, two weeks ago, this happened. I'll do an Instagram poll later to get the name for this one, by the way. Bit of perseverance with the right things brought it back from what looked like a bit of a hopeless situation. Two things help us persevere. The people of Jesus and the promises of Jesus. Surround yourself with the people of Jesus in this dry time and they will help you persevere. Keep coming here. Keep on searching for a car park. Even if it's like 6.25 and you haven't left the house yet, come down, find a car park at 5 to 7 and still come in. Surround yourself with people. And if you're at home watching, uh, when it's safe for you to do so, please come here. We need you here to support us, to help us persevere as we help you persevere too. Keep going to your growth group, even as the year closes out and you get tired and there's Christmas parties and there's different things going on. Keep going. Surround yourself with the people of Jesus and surround yourself with the promises of Jesus. Keep reading his word, even when it's tough. 
Keep singing His promises together here. Sing them loud. Keep on calling on Him who is always with you and asking Him to make real those promises in your heart and your mind so you really feel them. Surround yourself with reminders of the promises of Jesus. No matter how weak or dry you feel, there is perseverance and growth waiting for you if you do it with those two things. And you know what's even better than the people of Jesus and the promises of Jesus? Both of them together, the two combined, tell the promises of Jesus to other people alongside the people of Jesus. It's the best way to remind yourself of what those promises are. It's the best way to pull yourself and others through a dry spell. It's literally my favorite thing to do. Come and do it with me. We have teams of weak people. Sorry, youth team. You're weak. Who take the mission, the message, the promises of Jesus out week by week. If you used to be part of a ministry team but took a break for a time, maybe it was the start of lockdown last year when it was all a bit uncertain, please come back. Come and join this mission full of weak people. If you haven't been part of a ministry because you're a bit new or you're just unsure if you'll be good at it, you're actually the person that we want. We want weak people. That's our secret source. Join a ministry. Join the people of Jesus, spreading the promises of Jesus. And if you've been doing the hard slog of ministry for a long time and you're feeling run down and tired, same. Please stay. Please stick around. Please see out this rough two years with the people of Jesus, holding on to the promises of Jesus. Because the best way that you're going to remind yourself again and again is by telling others about it. Just imagine if, if we as Night Church decided that we would be the people of Jesus taking the promise of Jesus to those around us here. If we saw our church in a, in a hard place, in a dry patch, and we decided that we would humbly serve to strengthen our church, filling our kids and youth ministry teams with weak people who aren't good at everything, but who work with other people of Jesus to send these promises out to these kids who are ready to hear it. Investing in that next generation the same way that I'm sure you were invested in when you were that age. Jump on a roster for a service. Learn the sound or the computer so that people both in the building and on the internet, talk about beyond, can hear the promises of Jesus. Maybe you're not sure what you'd like to get involved in yet, but please take this as a request to think hard about it when I come and ask you to be on the youth team. <laughs> we need people of Jesus taking the promises of, promises of Jesus to others who don't know it, because while they do that, they persevere. 
And as we get ready to sing the promises of Jesus uh, a couple more times to each other tonight, uh, won't you let me pray for us? As we come out of a, a strange two years and we set our sights on what's next, uh, won't you pray with me uh, as we join together as people of Jesus, holding firm to his promises? Lord God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us uh, this message through the work of Paul and his friends, through the gospel we have in your word. And Lord, we pray that that gospel would shape our hearts and pull forth a joy and a perseverance that we have not known until now. Lord, we ask that we would keep on surrounding ourselves with your people and that we would be people who hold to your promises. Help us to see a brother or sister in need. Help us to love them and support them. Help us to see ministries which need people, places where they might be feeling dry, but where that, that ground is ready uh, to be planted in and ready for many, many fruits to be grown by you. Lord, we ask that you would bring us through this season of dryness into whatever comes next. And Lord, we ask that your gospel would continue to go out. We do thank you that you use weak people like us to do that. Lord, use us all the more and come back soon. Amen.